Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to the Greatest Generation, Deep Space Nine. It's a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys. Today, more than any other, just a little bit embarrassed about having a Star Trek podcast. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm Ben Harrison. Why is today different from all other days, Adam? No filters, man. This is a Quark's Bar episode. Yeah. It's all coming out. I raised my glass to you, friend. I brought two glasses. Wow. What did you bring? What are we, so, what are uh, we working with here? Maybe you can help me name my order, <laughs> uh, because I've got I've got one in the front and one in the back. I've got my Don Ho highball glass filled with my homemade eggnog. Yeah, this is a uh, so so you did like traditional eggnog is a is a drink that is put by uh, you 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 make it and you put it in a in a vessel yeah. of some kind you seal it and you put it somewhere dark and temperature controlled for a long time and let it mellow you save it for a special occasion like a star trek podcast episode which is not something that like most people would think to do right like put a bunch of eggs and cream in a jar and then drink it months later (laughs) look i'm not a scientist i'm a drinker and uh and i can tell you that the uh, outcome of this experiment is delicious it's a leap of faith much like the uh sausages i ate for lunch today which i was like well i don't know how long these have been in the fridge but uh they've been in there for a long time hopefully if i cook them for a while they'll be safe well as long as they're stuffed with nitrites uh (laughs) Come on, Adam. I'm sure they'll be good. You know I don't mess with... I don't, I don't want any gunpowder in my, in my meats. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, what are you drinking? Well, my fir- I, I also brought two... Oh, wait, bl- I got to finish, dude. I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, uh, and then backing that up, I mean, how do you, how do you possibly follow that kind of introduction? Uh, double tequila soda. <laughs> uh, otherwise known as uh, the Greatest Gen Live Show. Yeah, that's our official drink. Yeah. I am drinking a spiced daiquiri. This is kind of a holiday twist on a, uh, on a, on a beloved classic where I put spiced rum in place of white rum <laughs> in my... In my daiquiri. Uh, You're doing that thing where you put your leg up on an invisible uh, rum barrel mm-hmm. there as you introduce that drink. That's nice. So that's my first drink, a double dac. And then uh, I'm backing it up with uh, a Mezcal Neat. Uh, this is that uh, Coyote Mezcal that a listener sent in uh, on, a, on a recent mailbag episode. Very good. And I feel embarrassed yeah. that I can't remember the first name even of that r- listener right now because uh, I don't have it directly in front of my eyeballs. <laughs> my brain is broken. You're doing the best you can. Uh, yeah, and, and, and the best I can is going to get worse and worse over the course of this episode, Adam, because this <laughs> is a Quark's Bar. <laughs> That's a moving target, huh? Uh, it's been a long time since we've done one of these. Uh, no rules to the Quark's Bar episode except heavy, heavy drinking by you and me. I, I just had to turn off the heater in my, in my studio. I forgot that it was on. I hope that wasn't ruining the sound for the first five minutes of this episode. A heater in the studio, Ben? Who are you? Ben's wife? 
Yeah. My new work environment is in a cinder block building that uh, this time of year really gets chilly. I, yeah. I spent a lot of money having this building insulated before I moved into it. Well, you've said a lot of shit over the years, Ben, that has earned you your trip to Guantanamo Bay, <laughs> where where you record your half of the podcast. So <laughs> you get what you deserve. Yeah. I've crossed a lot of people in the deep state, and <laughs> this is this is my reward. Yeah, a, a Quarks Bar episode, a sort of reward for the hosts of the greatest generation. Uh, if you're in a place that's safe to do so, I would encourage you to join us. Yeah. If drinking is not something that you do, I would ask you to stay on the wagon. Yeah, and, please. And uh, just enjoy how stupid we get. Take delight in uh, knowing that you won't get as stupid as this. <laughs> yeah. Well, with that being said, uh, let's get down to it, Ben. We've got a great big Deep Space Nine episode to do here unclear about its crumb structure at this point but maybe that'll be more clear <laughs> by the end hey that's a callback to the last episode i know <laughs> uh it's deep space nine season seven episode 21 when it rains part five Ow! do you realize how incredible this is <laughs> no of course you don't this episode opens with a McLaughlin group issue one where they're kind of post-gaming the catastrophic outcome of the end of the last episode where the Breen used a energy dampening weapon to just lay waste to a combined fleet of Klingon Romulan and Starfleet ships and we've got reps from all three Star Empires here. We've got Admiral Beltbuckle. The Klingon fleet is the only thing that stands between us and the Dominion. We've got a ROM. You're still outnumbered 20 to 1. We've got Martok. I am aware of that. And Chief O'Brien is the one giving them the bad news. The news is that uh, 311 ships were lost or disabled by this green energy weapon. Just a terribly chill amount of destruction out there. <laughs> Just kind of a uh, reggae-adjacent kind of grief happening. Yeah, an amount of ships that were destroyed that would be pretty hot on mid-90s alternative <laughs> rock radio, but... <laughs> Almost forgotten years later. Yeah, I mean, something you put on for nostalgia nowadays. Not not many people, I think, enjoy enjoy this incident sincerely, but maybe. It was fun to see Chief O'Brien with frosted tips for this scene, though. (laughs) This is fucking spectacular. Yeah, Admiral Beltbuckle changed to a braided leather belt here uh, for his (laughs) look. What have we come to? Interesting bit of trivia here, that there was one bird of prey that did not fall victim to this brain energy weapon. It's the Katang. The Katang. I feel like this is a ship we're familiar with, right? We we hear about the Katang for sure. They uh, adjusted their tritium intermix to uh, to fix some kind of problem, and uh, and whatever they did inoculated them against this brain weapon in a way that can be reproduced on all of the Klingon ships. But not something that the Federation and Romulan ships can uh, copy because they use different propulsion systems. So uh, it seems like the Klingon part of the Axis, uh, I'm going to call them, because Star Trek's writers didn't come up with a term of their own. Uh, 
they're they're the only ships that are going to be in play for the foreseeable future until you know federations engineers and Romulus's engineers can can come up with a way to mimic whatever this is. Everyone wants what's on that sweet sweet Katang's ship, you know? <laughs> yeah. Pass it around. Yeah. Puff puff pass with when it comes to the Katang. So the consequence is that it kind of sidelines every federation and Romulan ship at this point because you need time to retool those ships with the stuff that the Katang's got. Yeah. And that means there are 1,500 Klingon vessels as the only thing between the Dominion and the allies here. It's a good thing that the Dominion force is not planting a subsequent attack at any point in this episode. Yeah. So Chief O'Brien finishes his book report and leaves, and the kind of heavy hitters start talking about what they're going to do about this. It seems like Martok's got a pretty good plan of of kind of, you know, using ships under cloak and kind of keeping the Dominion on their toes while holding the line. But uh, they're going to have to kind of use use the Klingons for all they're worth in the meantime. But they have a new ally, and that is uh, Damar and the Cardassian rebels. And they're talking about... Uh, how they're going to support this new rear action that Damar is talking about doing. Half his troops were killed in the assault on Rondak. I was a little surprised by the way this went because they're talking about like, you know, you know, Damar is fighting a, a, a kind of war that he can't possibly know how to fight. Uh, he, he really needs to, to think like a, like a rebel. People like Cal Hudson. Is it like, is this like, yeah. like a, he's a loose cannon, but he's the best kind of moment? I mean, there are a lot of references to a kind of guerrilla starship warfare happening here, uh, both in space and then like helping the Cardassian resistance yeah. with their own guerrilla style strategy. Did he get killed? Did, did, was there like a, uh, hey, Cisco, sorry to hear about your friend Cal Hudson dying in the battle of whatever kind of tossed offline? There was exactly that, Ben. He was killed in a skirmish with the Cardassians. And in saying that, you're making me look up the episode and pulling the clip for this. So. <laughs> but he forgave you. Happy to do it. There was exactly that moment. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the other person that knows how to do this, though, and the person that I was embarrassed my mind didn't jump to was Colonel Kira. Yeah, who knows more about guerrilla resistance tactics than she? You want me to go behind enemy lines and teach a bunch of Cardassians how to be resistance fighters? And as interesting a foil for Damar as Cal Hudson would have been, because she also fucking hates Cardassians. When Captain Sisko taps her for this job, she resists this for every rational reason. Yeah. Like... This is an awful situation to find yourself if you're her. And it further muddied the water, I felt like, of the relationship between the Bajorans and the Federation in this case. Could she have turned down an order like this to the extent that it even is an order? The way this scene goes is sort of about her being persuaded in the wisdom of this order. But Do you find that she's persuaded by the end? So, so, so A, kind of no, and B, I think I didn't think of her because she's just been so underwritten in season seven in general. Yeah. Like, she's 
barely been a character on the show in season seven. Like, like this scene made me realize, like, oh, fuck. Like, we haven't really gotten a Kira forward episode in a long time. Yeah. Her wants and needs have, like, been put so far down the list of priorities in the by the writer's room that I didn't even think of her when they were talking about resistance-style warfare. It's a real shame at squandering that great talent. Yeah. But it did excite me, even though I didn't agree with what was happening, and I was resisting for Kira in this scene. Uh, what excited me was that she was going to be a, a big part of this episode and hopefully a bigger part of the rest of the season. Yeah. Also suggested in this scene is that Garrick can help. And specifically, like, figuring out where Damar is and how to get in touch with him, because that is not something that has been established yet. This also, an, a, another thing where I was like, oh, right, like, Garrick has all these, like, tendrils everywhere, but, like, what's going on with the Obsidian Order? Does it not exist now that the Dominion is there? Was it, Wouldn't like... they make a great ally at a situation like this? Right. Or like, not? Or, or not. Like, were they consumed yeah. by the intelligence apparatus of the larger alliance that they're a part of, or not, or what? Mm -hmm. Like, did mm -hmm. the... Because the Obsidian Order always felt like they were kind of, like, steering the Cardassian Empire from the shadows, right? Like, they were taking none of the credit, but doing all of the actual running of state. Yeah. It seems like they would have had opinions when Gul Dukat, like, got them into this fucking relationship. You would think. You assume that they will rear their heads at some point. Yeah. I mean, you would hope that the deep state would do something when things yeah. are as dire as this. Yeah. So that's our setup. Gul Dukat. The cut. Gul Dukat. So. I thought they were going to show the Katang at some point, like, like the study of the Katang. Mm-hmm. Figuring out all of its parts. <laughs> Maybe the viewer could learn about how the Katang works. Right. There's an outer field and an inner field. Right. The, there's the there's the the cloak majora. <laughs> <laughs> there's the deflector that uh, some people think is a myth, but uh, if you look <laughs> under the under the inner cloak, it's in there. You know, lots of times utilizing the Katang in a rear action strategy <laughs> uh, can bring a fresh new feeling to the entire proceeding. Right. And what's important is that we want what's best for the Katang. Absolutely. That's, yeah. the, that's the first priority. Don't be afraid to get too close. Yeah. Is all I'm saying. In Six Bay, Bashir is waxing on about having enough organs for transplantation during wartime. I think this is a like viable concern. I'm glad to hear it. Yeah. You're going to need some organs. You're going to need extra legs, especially. He's got quite a collection. This kind of felt to me like Dr. Bashir was inventing stem cells, like a breakthrough that happened like a year or two later in medical science is kind of being yeah. uh, come up with here. Like a, what if we could just like squirt something into somebody's body and have it like fix the part of their spleen that is missing? And right. he wants Odo to give him a cup of goo. Excuse me, please. I could have spent an entire episode in this moment <laughs> because the scene is very deficient in all of the details that I need. Yeah. We've asked these questions the entire series, Ben. Like, if Odo were to get on the runabout as he's about to and go on the Kira mission, 
Can he turn the goo he left behind into mini Odo? He wants the goo back later. Yeah. It seems important to him, but is it like, how long does it take for the goo he leaves to die? Does it need to go into the bucket for uh, for restoration the way <laughs> Odo has to? There are just so many gifts in this episode of Bashir holding up a glass yeah. with a, a a finger full of yellow liquid in it. I was like, I can't believe what luck we have <laughs> as some of the most legendary star trek shit posters in internet history what luck yeah. the two of us have i just feel very fortunate to be here at this moment <laughs> yeah there's a scene much later where quark brings them coffee in the in the infirmary and i'm like well obviously bashir's gonna accidentally drink odo that is the one place that this setup is going to lead right <laughs> doesn't happen and I want the answer to that question. What happens if you drink Odo? Yeah. Do, does he metabolize or, or what? I'll coat the inside of your throat like so much eggnog. <laughs> you want to eat Chief Wiggum's chili? Take a mouthful <laughs> of me. <laughs> Just the shot of him, like, putting his index finger into the, into the beaker is, like, such a kinky way of depicting that like he could he could make the goo from any part of him right Right. like he could take the beaker from Bashir turn around and turn back and have it be full but he put his his index finger in it like he's finger fucking the beaker this moment is also an opportunity to establish a threat that goes untaken because much in the same way that a new special person may choose to leave something behind Mm -hmm. uh, if only to have to come back for it in a way. I kind of wonder why (laughs) this was never turned into a, like, I got to come back for that. It's a part of me. And that's how you know that Odo's going to try his best to survive the mission. Right. Odo is not George Costanza trying to get back into the thoughts of a girl he slept with. Or alternately, the promise of enough material left behind that Odo would live if Odo Prime died out on this mission. We don't know the math of that either. And I wish we did. I really wanted the next scene to be Odo walking down a hallway and Kira to be like, Odo, are you an inch shorter than the last time I saw you? You know, like I, I I wanted people to like notice that he was missing a little mass. If you had to remove mass from yourself and not for any sort of like cosmetic way, uh-huh. in a practical way, right? you got to take a cup out. Yeah. Where are you taking it? The easy answer is, yeah, my, my abdomen, like, like take a, take some love handle out or whatever. And like, that's, that's the bullshit answer. Give me something mm-hmm. important for the purpose of this question. It has to have bone. I would say, like, my lowest two ribs so that I could uh, <laughs> pull a Marilyn Manson, you know, just just for once. Yeah, that's a great answer. <laughs> Man, really great. That's probably two cups. Just a tad more. At this point, I think it's probably hair. And I think you measure hair the way you measure brown sugar. Like, you could get two cups of, of packed hair yeah. in there and probably make me look pre-pandemic at this point <laughs> well you know you're you're sort of like uh you're sort of like a pandemic billionaire right adam like yeah. you could give hair away to everyone that's lost hair from the pandemic and have the same amount as you yeah. had 
when the pandemic started. You know, I broke my own rules because hair doesn't have bone in it. Yeah. So I need to come up with, with that. Shoot. God, I'm thinking about like pinkies or something. Pinkies is good. What about like hip bone? I feel like there's a lot of like extra bone in hips. You don't need all that bone in there. But there's so much bone there. Got a uh, a production buddy of mine, a camera operator, ended up getting a hip replacement surgery, and he's like 40. Wow. And it was because, like, all the obvious reasons, like, cam ops are on their feet, shooting events, like, deteriorated on them just through a through a career of work. Yeah. No. And, that... like, the thing about hip replacement is, like, you need to keep replacing them at intervals. You're just never the same after. It sucks. Yeah. Maybe I'd want to stay away from the hip is what I'm saying. Yeah, maybe that's true. I mean, cam op is just, that's a hard job. The unsung heroes of production, man. Seriously. Back on Bajor, Kai Wynn is uh, feeling a tiny bit of regret about all of the knifing of Sobor she has done recently. Yeah, she's having to open her letters by hand now. <laughs> but she is let it, ready to let the paw wraiths kill kind of a lot of people. Like she's talking to, uh, she's talking to Angel slash Ducat about, like yeah, like once we let the power wraiths out, like obviously they're gonna like stand in judgment of everyone on Bajor and the people they deem worthy will survive, and the ones that they don't, that's their fucking ass. It's so wild how much of a mystery the numbers are at this point. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. like the whole question of who they deem worthy could be any proportion of Bajor's population, right? Perhaps I could help. Totally. It, it made me think a little bit about, like, I, we don't really know how many Bajorans there are on Bajor. It could be billions, it could be millions, whatever. It could be bajillions. <laughs> it could be. But also, like, if it's just a kind of arbitrary portion of the population, it kind of doesn't even matter, right? Like what Kai Wen is now doing is going to cause deaths on a on a scale. And she is willing to do it because it will kind of further entrench her power. It's really fucked up, man. It's so fucked up. And it's so fucked up to watch somebody do that. There's almost a tragedy in it. It's not a simple matter. I think it's been easy up until now to draw an equivalence between Golducat's evil and Kaiwin's evil for convenience because they're both going after the same goal, but their paths really have been different, right? Yeah. Like when Golducat talks about the blood on his hands, there is a shitload of blood on his hands. Right. There is Solbor's blood on Kai Wynn's hands and and that he's able to draw an equivalency between the two in order to encourage her to keep moving forward is incredibly fucked up because as evil as Kai Wynn has been up until this point they're not the same they haven't been right it's also interesting to watch her like recoil from his touch in these scenes I thought my place was in your bed why wouldn't you look at me during? That was before I knew who you were. Because he has been deceiving her up until now, and now, like, all pretense has dropped. I thought she'd still let him knock it out, though. I mean, <laughs> at this point, what's the difference? <laughs> she, she knows he has the, uh, the staying power to get her there, right? <laughs> You know, uh, Gul Dukat has been the captain of a Klingon bird of prey before. He knows all about how the Katang works. <laughs> I 
I've had enough of your distractions. Uh, back on Deep Space Nine. <laughs> they are uh, pretty excited about the impending arrival of their buddy, Gowron. Yeah, there's going to be a ceremony for Martok with yeah. all the fixins, the works. Gonna get a get the banquet table out. Yeah. Get the gawk piled high with all the fixins. He's being inducted into the order of Ganesh. And uh-huh. uh, everybody is pumped about it. Um, there's a little bit of business to attend to, which is that Kira and Garrick are gonna be running off to work with Damar. Like off screen Garrick like got in touch with Damar and made this arrangement, but there's a bit of a there's a bit of an issue, which is that as the Rambo of Rambo 3, Kira is kind of the worst possible person to be going because her last name is Spetsnaz. <laughs> <laughs> so they, they, they sort of need to downplay how Bajoran Kira is. I really love looking at this scene through a modern lens because you can tell what they're trying to do. They're trying to, she's all that. Kira into a Starfleet uniform, which is fun. It's a fun reveal. Yeah. But it begins with a minute of men criticizing how Kira looks and what she's wearing. Yeah. Without revealing that later. And I don't think that scene plays as well today as it did back then. It's so fucked up because, like, as a child of the 90s, you're like, oh man, like, my, all of my, all of my conditioning is so problematic. Yeah. And yet, when, they put Kira in the Starfleet uniform and have her walk down the spiral staircase in Quarks while playing Kiss Me. I was like, I was there for it. I was like, Kira, Kira wins. She's so hot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She's the bomb. Yeah. And she's a commander. How do they decide, like, they field promoter? To be in Starfleet, but they also three Pipper. I wonder how the how the equivalency works, right? Like, is it yeah? Is major like a lieutenant commander and colonel is a commander? I feel like we're coming off as nerdy micro nerd bullshit people that want to know this stuff. Get a life. But I really feel like this is important. <laughs> I want it, I want the scene where they decide what the Pip equivalency is across Bajoran to to Starfleet. Yeah. That would have been nice. Odo changes clothes, too, to a guy who looks like he runs an antique store in a tourist town. (laughs) This is how I dressed when I lived in Palm Springs. I think it should be fine when we go behind enemy lines. I actually have an entire section full of old dolls, if you'll follow me. (laughs) And if you're interested in dust, take a look at this dust jacket. I actually should have brought this up earlier. We only accept cash. <laughs> there, There is an ATM down the block. It does have a limit of $200. I would also, just based on experience, recommend a long shower after leaving my store. <laughs> I find the smell just kind of sticks to your clothing. It lingers a bit. <laughs> Come to Ford. Come to Ford. What are you doing? So back over with Damar and his uh, resistance cell, they're arguing about uh, who to accept help from. Uh, w slash R slash T Kira. There's a little bit of discomfort involved with this idea from their perspective. It's not just uh, from Kira. Right. This is 
setting up the racial tension that everybody is worried about even further. Uh, and specifically, like, Gulrasat is, is like, Damar, like, of all of the Bajorans I've heard you talk shit about, <laughs> what yeah. are we doing here? Kira Nerys has certain skills she's willing to teach us. Yeah, Kira's the one you hate the most, and now we've got to depend on her? Kind of fucked. I can't believe what I'm hearing. Speaking of fucked... Gowron shows up at Deep Space Nine. He gets the full the full greeting of uh, Worf, Martok, Cisco, and Admiral Ross. But I kind of thought that they should have pulled out the formal whites for yeah. this, right? Like this is a yeah, head of state, cool. and we know that they make this costume, and and we know that they made Picard get in the Starfleet uniform every time a head of state showed up on. The big D. It makes the conclusion to this scene better if they're in whites, because if you're dressed up and nowhere to go, mm-hmm. Admiral Beltbuckle and Cisco's disappointment of n- about not being invited to their party is much more pronounced if they're dressed up for it. That would have been great. And they're not even invited. Worf gets invited because yeah. he is a Klingon and because he has sort of been kissed into the house of Martok. But also, like, there's so much going on there from... A TNG watcher standpoint, because Gowron can't act publicly like he owes Worf anything because right. of the big secret, and so he's like, "Cool, great, like, well, we'll just act like Worf's uh, a tabula rasa. Good for him. He's now a Martokman. He's no longer mm-hmm. a Mogman." And they all like head off to to go get shit house drunk together, and. And yeah, like Cisco and Beltbuckle standing there in their whites, just with their jaws on the floor, would have been a much better moment. We're deprived of the scene where Beltbuckle tries to choke down blood wine. We know, <laughs> we know he's not a confident drinker. No. Yeah. It should be illegal. I mean, I like how they're treated like a couple of narcs. <laughs> this is the holiday party scene at any workplace. Right. Like you go and you find your tribe. You're not necessarily going to go do shots with management. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You want to buddy up to those guys in specific moments, but not moments like this. The The people you could really buddy with are Bashir and O'Brien. And they're uh, speculating about why Esri has been avoiding Bashir up until now. Yeah. Bashir even asked her directly and then got called away on biz. And uh, this is kind of a scene we return to several times in this episode, which is Bashir and O'Brien kind of talking over their social lives while Bashir does work and O'Brien does not. (laughs) Can I just say how much I like a examination bed being used as just a place for O'Brien to lounge from time to time in yeah, these scenes. He's totally kicking it on bio beds like, uh, hey, what's going on with you, bud? The one great thing about the future is that they don't rely on the paper for the examination table. So O'Brien isn't constantly like crinkling around <laughs> on that thing when he relaxes. That's yeah. fun. Yeah. Anyways, this scene is just like a an embarrassment of riches for us in making gifts about what a piss freak Bashir is. You sure you're not imagining things? It's true, and the and the ever presence of Odo in this glass 
being the dot that the earlier scene points to. Can Odo hear what they're saying? Or when exactly. Odo is reunited with this material, will he know what, what, what happened in its presence? There should be a show Bible just about Odo and how his body works. Yeah. Uh, the joy of Odo has hyper-realistic <laughs> pubic hair drawings inside. Uh, Bashir's doing some analysis on the morphogenic structure of Odo. Uh, we see like a microscopic image of what this material looks like. And uh, I would say that it's hard to describe this as looking like anything but a flock of dicks. Yeah, if your late 90s computer screensaver looked like this, <laughs> I think it's a fireable offense. <laughs> the aforementioned Esri walks in and O'Brien gets the hint after a couple of hints, that it's time for him to go. Yeah. And Bashir has made some kind of, like, creepy mentions to O'Brien. Like, yeah, I mean, I'm, I've am i summoned Esri here so that I can use my position as her personal doctor to put the moves on her. <laughs> O'Brien, to his credit, is like, what? <laughs> Isn't that unethical or something? Well, what's going on here seems pretty pervy. And, and Esri is uh, going to kind of confess her feelings for Bashir in this moment. She is not doing it in a way that I would recommend. It's kind of the confession of love in the terms of telling somebody about their diagnosis kind of thing she's doing. It's an order of operations thing, right? Like you never want to confess your love for someone after also confiding that you fucked someone else. Yeah. Uh, he it totally interprets everything she is saying as I'm still, I'm still a, a a wharf gal, and he is reading his worst worst fears into things that don't actually confirm them. But um, he's kind of distracted before she can clear this up. She's she is saying the word love while he is distracted by his his medical readouts because. Uh, they're giving him some bad news, and he radios up the runabout that Kira, Odo, and Garrick are on to say, Odo has the flake. Solution, Neutrogena T-Gel. Did you get a weird vibe from Bashir's attitude on this FaceTime? It is so weird and serene, the way he looks and the way he does his line reads as he's breaking this kind of news. I felt like something was off here. Yeah, he's kind of smiley, like, hey, like, um, yeah, there's nothing the I can do. Yeah. It felt unintentional. Like, I don't think this is a, is Bashir uh, a founder situation, but there's enough off about it that it definitely hit me. Hmm. Almost like he enjoys breaking this kind of news. Are you sure about this? Because Kira's like, well, we got to turn around. My man is sick. We got to get him into the hospital. The only course of treatment I'd recommend is a lobotomy. (laughs) I'd stick an ice pick in your cranium and just stir and stir and stir and stir and stir and stir and and nothing's happening. Not not you, Odo. You, Kira. Just to spare you the pain. (laughs) You would not remember anything about your life, but at least you wouldn't remember remember the pain of losing (laughs) Odo. Kira is, you're right, feeling this moment in a way that Odo is either unwilling or unable to at this moment in time. And Garrick's like, I'm just going to go hit some buttons. 
Yeah. This I'm is obviously a, an important part. I'm going to go stand in the back of the runabout and take a look at that fruit bowl. See if it uh, ages super rapidly or not. <laughs> Just uh, something I've heard happens from time to time. Moment later. FYI, do not stick your junk in the fruit bowl. <laughs> <laughs> My balls were pretty high and tight before, and now they are really dangling. I love that all of the scenes of Bejor for the foreseeable, the establishing shots, are all at night Mm -hmm. to Mm -hmm. sort of ground what's happening here in a kind of secret thing that's happening when people who could stop it have gone home, you know? Yeah. And the secret thing that's happening in this scene is Gul Dukat is kind of tiptoeing around in Kai Wynn's office uh, and looking for the Necropomicon. And uh, and he finds it and he opens it up. I like how you hear the muted brass instrument of Spycraft here when he sneaks in. <laughs> like there's a, a musical leitmotif here that's, that's helping. One thing that kind of bumped me out of this scene is he's supposed to be like on super stealth mode, but then he opens the book and starts talking out loud to yeah. no one. <laughs> like, we know what's going through his head. He doesn't need to say out loud. What have you been keeping from me, my sweet? The thing about Golducat also is that he never needs to be physically sneaky. Like, his, his sneakiness comes from his power and his planning. Yeah. And so to see him kind of slink around, <laughs> he's too big to slink. This sneaking a peek does not go well, Enterprise. This is why you're told all the time you never want to read a book at night without yeah. a light on. It really strains your eyes. And when Golducat tries, his eyes get really strained. Yeah, his eyes turn square. He cannot see anymore. <laughs> the hubris of Gul Dukat has finally been broken. He finally jacked off enough to go blind. You fools! It happened as a warning to everyone. He should have uh, he should have let the hair on his palms be a warning, you know? Like, take that as, as a, a sign that you need to, to back off. But no, he powered through. He jacked off right through that guardrail <laughs> and right into blindness. <laughs> On DS9, it's Klingon ceremony time, which means no palm is safe from the blade. Yeah. This is something that uh, that Belt Buckle and Cisco talk about in a pretty fun way. Yeah. They're going to have to get involved in this, and that comes as a surprise to Belt Buckle. Belt Buckle's got very soft palms, is yeah. the thing. Yeah. His hands all soft, like he never did work. Been rich ever since your daddy's if Bell Buckle can't do a shot of Romulan Ale, what are the chances he does the palm slash without fainting? <laughs> He's definitely going to faint, right? And that's why we get the elliptical edit to later. Like, we cut to bandage, basically. Yeah, we do cut to bandage, and they're like, wow, what a what a shitty ceremony the, the Klingons throw. And Gowron's like, you think that sh- ceremony was shitty? Wait till what comes out at the after party. <laughs> I'm taking a much more active role in commanding my troops. This is so humiliating for Martok because it's in front of everyone. Like, he thought this was supposed to be a a celebration in his honor. Yeah. And And it is in a way because the the celebration is like, you've done so well that uh, I'm rewarding you by taking you off the thing that you hate. You've been complaining so long about the paperwork and the admin stuff. How about you leave that to me 
and also the credit. Yeah. It's about credit consolidation, right? Yeah, Gowron does not want to let somebody else be a bigger hero of the Empire than he is. And so, and uh, it really changes the mood at the after party. You should be happy. You're a warrior again. Bashir's on a FaceTime to Starfleet Medical talking to Ensign. Thank you for holding. Your call is extremely important to us. (laughs) And he's just not getting anywhere with this guy. He's trying to get Odo's medical records and they're classified. And this customer service agent is just not able to uh, elevate the call to a person who can actually make a decision. I thought it was really on point that the hair and makeup department put Bashir in a short bob with a lot of really insane highlights for this scene. (laughs) He was just really carroning his way through the Starfleet medical phone system. A real Julia Colin Davison, like the first season she got to host Test Kitchen. (laughs) They've since dialed that way, way back in a better way. Yeah. But yeah. The power bob. He takes a uh, a pair of tongs and uh, puts some some paper towels and oil, and then greases up the grill just to make sure that it uh, builds up the nonstick polymerized surface of his grill grates. Uh, make sure to demonstrate that before Starfleet Medical basically slams the door on his uh, on his inquiry. He does not have the proper clearance to get Odo's medical records from them because uh, Odo's medical records are classified. He does get passed around the phone tree a little bit, though, because Commander Hilliard is on the blower next. And before Commander Hilliard makes with the files, he has some questions to ask first. Yeah, what are your intentions with my files, Julian? Right. It's clear that Sigma-9 clearance is required to access these files. Yeah. And, uh, And so, like, Bashir does his duty... By both pleasing that booty and answering the questions. <laughs> uh, but Commander Hilliard's like, cool, thanks for answering. Bye. Yeah. He doesn't make with the files at all. It becomes clear in this scene that like a patient's life being on the line is not a needle mover for Starfleet Medical. And like I think that it's very interesting that the two officers Bashir talks to in this FaceTime are uh, in red turtlenecks. He's a blue turtleneck, yeah. they're a red turtleneck, and yeah. it, I think that they are coded as insurance adjusters, not as doctors. Sounds like a typical bureaucrat flexing his muscles. I love the backstop for this episode, and hopefully, like, going forward, being that you can't have a cure to this thing fall into Dominion hands. Right. So we can't even allow you to try to make a cure to this thing. Right. We, what are the chances? It obviously would fall into their hands and then and then we're fucked. Everything that goes to Deep Space Nine winds up on the other side of the line somehow. And this is the thing that Hilliard kind of alludes to. He's like, well, did uh, Odo touch another founder at any point? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's clear that like there's been a, I mean, there's been an unfortunate amount of contact between Odo and other founders over the years that kind of makes you wonder. Really makes you second guess telling your sexual history to a physician, you know. In the aftermath, Bashir uh, tells O'Brien what happened in the replimat. And I love the 
conspiracy of Bashir and O'Brien together. Yeah. Hashing it out. I also love O'Brien kind of trying to play devil's advocate. He's like, uh, I don't know if you remember the last episode, but Earth got <laughs> fucked up. Like, maybe people are paranoid and don't know where they should place their trust right now. Hey, Bashir, you never ask about me. Keiko was back on Earth visiting her grandma at the time of the attack. But you never ask about it. <laughs> so I guess I'm going to keep this to myself, my grief. Yeah. What is... I, I, I wonder if we will see Keiko before the end of all of this. I hope so. That would be right. It would be right. But right. also, like, it feels like she... Is she away for the war? I don't know. Unlike... Cassidy Yates, who was not going to be sent away for her own safety. Keiko's like, oh, yeah, that sounds great. <laughs> I'm on the next shuttle. Actually, before O'Brien even finishes the proposition, like, she's booked passage <laughs> back to Earth. <laughs> O'Brien's got a great idea here. He's like, you know who might have Sigma 9 access clearance? Ben Sisko. He can get things done. In the Star Trek caves, Kira, Odo, and Garrick are kicking it to... Damar and Gulrasot and the rest of the Cardassians about how to run a resistance operation. And it's like, hey, you guys are mainline army. You're uh, your generals fighting the last war kind of guys. Uh, you go to war with the army you have, uh, not the army you might want or wish to have at a later time. What you need to start doing is thinking in a totally different way. You need to spread out. You need to have small, independent groups that don't know much about what the other groups are doing so that they're, if they're captured and tortured, they can't give up key information that would foil the whole thing. Damar, I don't know if you have a mom or even a mother figure that could be a comfort woman to uh, someone like <laughs> Wayun or, or that Breen guy, but, uh, but that's a way... To survive the war. Hey, listen, even Change Leader I know is probably like aching for the, the comforts of something right now, anything. So, Damar, if that's a sacrifice you'd be willing to make. Excellent. Everything Kira says makes a ton of sense to the degree that I started to lose faith in the resistance here. Because come on, man, you put all your spoons in one basket. You do really need to spread out here. And yeah. not keep all of your guys in a Star Trek cave. She says a lot of interesting stuff. Like, it's it's not just that. It's also like, you need to be willing to attack stuff where other Cardassians will die if you attack it. Like, if they are collaborating, yeah. if, they are, if they stay loyal to the Dominion, then you need to be totally willing to end lives if it will advance your cause. Because if you're unwilling to attack targets that contain Cardassians, that's going to be used against you. Tomorrow's a quick study on this. Like, Gulbrasad yeah. is like, fuck that. Like, we're, we're attacking Dominion and Breen targets only. And Tomorrow's like, no, like, you're right. We need to look at, like, the low-hanging fruit, the stuff that will really hamper the Dominion's ability to prosecute their war. And if sometimes that means a Cardassian garrison is going to get it like that's the price we need to be willing to pay like we're right. we're in this it feels like the light bulb moment yeah there it, it's the entire reason that kira was sent Dumber. not another word Rasat. speaking of the right person to put on the job bashir has gotten the medical files he uh he asked 
Cisco to call in a favor, and he got the he got the scan of Odo that Starfleet Medical performed back on the trip to Earth where founders were everywhere. And it, it it's like, a, it's a hell of a scan, right? Like, this is yeah. a ton of data. He's really excited about looking through it. But uh, they noticed that... Um, so this scene is about, like, both Bashir has has decided that Ezri is not a tree he can bark up and O'Brien being like, what are you talking about? I just talked to Worf and Worf was like, yeah, it's over between me and her. So she's uh, playing the field, I guess. And also them going like, wow, this uh, this file from Starfleet Medical is clearly doctored. It's a fake. Hey, O'Brien, hold on a second. I'm going to turn around. I'm going to turn back, okay? It's a fake. And O'Brien is delighted. He right. fucking loves when Bashir does character work. Yeah, yeah. You really are genetically announced, aren't you? Yeah, and they, what they realize is that this is uh, the, the doctor, Dr. Mora, that discovered Odo the name Dodo by naming him unknown sample is the person who actually made this scan. Starfleet medical made a fake, uh, medical record using Dr. Mora's data and tried to, uh, pass it off to Bashir as the genuine article. And this is the argument though. They're like this Starfleet medical would not pass along a fake file. Like that's not what they do. This is more of a section 31 thing, right? Yeah. And they, and they start knocking it around a little bit, and they're like, yeah, this is Section 31, isn't it? Because it's worth it to let Odo die to keep a cure from falling into the Founder's gooey hands. Like, that's a Section 31 thing all the way. Yeah. Morn, morn. Morn. Sweet. Morn. 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 You need everybody? Morn. Stop. Hammer time. In the wardroom, Worf and Martok are discussing Gowron's reasons for taking command of the fleet. And it's clear that he just wants the credit for the victory. Yeah. Martok's going to clear his shit out of the office. And yeah. I'm excited because I want Gowron to be a part of the show up until the end. I think yeah. that's going to be a good get for us. It's a little sad to see Martok fill his banker's box with like his photo of... Yeah. This is my prized Targ. <laughs> ah, some of my favorite eye patches. I find... Even a warrior should decorate his workplace with personal items. (laughs) Here is a cactus, an earth plant given to me by Cisco. Here is a revealing, but not too revealing photograph of my wife taken in a Klingon shopping mall. (laughs) And don't tell my wife, but here is a pen that has Lursa and Bator wearing bathing suits. But when you tilt the pen the other way, the bathing suits come off. Did you say pen? Yeah. you know What those, are you referring to? Those pens that have like a lady in a bathing suit? No, I don't know. What is that? <laughs> what? There's, there's a type of pen, Adam, that you buy in a tourist town. Do I have to look up bathing suit pen? There's like a lady in a there's a lady in a bikini, and then you tilt the pen, and the bikini comes away. Oh, are you familiar Whoa. with this type of pen? Naked lady pens are are what I googled, and they are what I got. <laughs> yeah. All right. This is a famous type of pen. I'm surprised you haven't uh, encountered this type of pen. 
You know, as an enthusiast collector of classic pornography, I thought I would have uh, already known about this. A tip and point. strip pen I'm seeing as a as a term of art for this type of That's pen. Big fun. Sign an important document with the tip and strip. <laughs> Hey, that's how you make sure that the the recipient gets the wet version, if you know what I mean. Yeah. So back with the resistance, uh, the Cardis are arguing about what is and isn't appropriate conversation among the group, this mixed group that includes Kira and Odo. And And Garrick. Kicking some shit to Odo about, like, wow, how could you even collaborate with the Cardassian? He's like, aren't you all Cardassians? (laughs) (laughs) it's like that scene from roxanne where steve martin gets called big nose like (laughs) the record scratches in the cave everyone gets quiet yeah you didn't just accuse odo of of being a collaborator right what are you getting Maurice? don't the stack is blown the the room is cleared out like nobody really wants to you know nobody wants kira to come for them the way they sent for her like she's gonna flip them shit that they cannot handle but you know cooler heads prevail that's such an interesting point like like the moment you trip her wire i'm not sure you can predict what would happen right like she has a fucking dustbuster on her hip she could fucking cut everyone's head off in the room but she's also a company woman. Like, the whole reason she's there is because it's mission above person. Yeah, and she takes her rage out on a bunch of empty canisters in a different room. She Some pretty fun physical acting from Nana Visitor where she kind of walks into this room where all of the, like, supplies that they've brought for these Cardassian uh, yeah. rebels are stacked up and she just punches and kicks until she's cooled off a bit and uh odo walks in and is like you broke all your little canisters (laughs) (laughs) you're just like captain ahab looking for his whale or whatever i don't know what a whale is and i don't know what i i've never read the book i've never read a book aside from old mystery novels from earth Kira's like, good talk, and leaves. And then Odo, being left in the room, looks down at his hand, and he notices the flakiness. Yeah, he's got the flake starting to starting to present. And, and um, uh-oh, he does not tell Kira. No, he he pulls his sleeve over over the top. He does. I, I it's that sucking in that Change Leader did when she met with mm-hmm. the Breen, right? Like the yeah. Like yeah. I can't let anybody see this. You wonder like what that feels like, right? Like to to hold the look when you know that if you if you're not focused on it, it will go to flake. I mean, it's it's like that moment you recognize that you have bad posture and you like snap back to good posture. Yeah, like and you realize, uh, oh, this feels better. I'm going to keep a cool head. It's permanent night on Bajor, and we're back there again when uh, Kaiwin enters Golducat's quarters. He's still blind and just sitting in a chair in the corner. I feel like we skipped some scenes, not you and me skipping scenes of describing the episode. I mean, the, the show itself skipped scenes to get us to this point because he's just on a stool in a room just sitting there blind. He's been abandoned. You've abandoned my goal. <laughs> <laughs> and 
she doesn't tell him that she's entered the room immediately and yeah like like he feels like real scared and that's only gonna get worse because she's here to kick him out of the palace and into the gutter she's got a bajoran security guy to kind of grab him by the scruff of his neck and throw him out I think this scene is the moment where you can decide whether or not the show has done a good job in making the case that Goldicott is evil forever, or if at any point you could marshal any kind of empathy for him. Yeah. The, this is the inflection point. Like, did the show do a good job or a bad job in that? And what is a good job and a bad job? Like... Are you supposed to feel empathy for him or not? Right. Or are you supposed to be like, finally, Gul Dukat is getting what he deserves because out of the palace and into the gutter means he is not there to be to shepherd the evil plot of the Pa Wraiths, right? And as was referred to before, like the Pa Wraiths sorting out all the Bajorans is going to happen at him instead of with him, conceivably. Right. It's... Such a complicated moment for him. It's an interesting sentence because the the sentence of Hobo Dukat has terms that go as long as his sight is gone. There's the idea presented that, like, you're out in the gutter until you get your sight back. And it's up to the Pyrrhaths to determine how long that is. Yeah. If it's going to happen. Tommy, listen to me, please! Tommy! Debbie Bodan is so happy to do this. Like a, <laughs> a like a tertiary character. We get a couple of times in this episode and he is psyched to throw him out on his ass. I only wish we saw it. Yeah, like why deprive of us of the scene of the door flying open and Ducat flying into the heap of rubbish, right? It is worth a remote for that, isn't it? Should have happened. I think so. Instead, what we're given is like the pleasure that Kai Wynn gets from this moment. We're, we're, we get close in on her and she does the, uh, the smile of yeah. an evil person. Now I've got the paw wraiths all to myself. On Deep Space Nine, Gowron is, uh, is sharing his strategy with Worf and Martok. Uh, the strategy is to go on the offensive. It's not to lay back in the cut. It's yeah. not just to hold the line on the border it's it's what they it's what the uh, Dominion would least expect. Right, is going on the offensive, and that's what he wants to do. He's a big believer in the element of surprise, and the surprise being, wow, your whole uh, alliance is completely fucked up. I can't believe you would try something like this right now. It's so familiar to anyone who's ever worked a job anywhere for the war to be under new management. Yeah. And your new manager has never been to your store before, has never been to your neighborhood, <laughs> doesn't know anything about the customers, but it's just like, I'm the new manager and here are my new ideas and this is how it's going to be. It's an amount of hubris that feels right at home for Gowron. Isn't it interesting how similar that is to Kai Wynn's motivations? Like the go, the go for glory, the glory play is what they're both doing. And Gowron is like, always been that. I mean, he's been that for two different series of television, but in a way that is like, just off of being as grody as it feels with Kai Wen. Yeah. Like, I I don't know why he slightly seems less awful than she does, but he does. I think it's because his like it's never been put in terms of how many of his people are going to die because of 
That's a great point. And she is always confronted with with the numbers and is like, doesn't matter to me. I'm Kai Wynn. Yeah. Back in the infirmary, we get our button. It's Bashir and O'Brien talking about what to do with these fake files. Does O'Brien have a job? Does he have, is, is he, like, the last episode we were like, yeah, like, I just spent 18 hours reconfiguring the EPS conduits on the, on the hood. I need a break with my, with my buddy and my model of the Alamo. The thing that goes unsaid in all of these scenes lately is how fucking thrilled O'Brien has to be without, he's got no domestic responsibility at all. As it would seem. He can chill in the bar as long as he wants. He never talks about missing his wife and kid. Man-made prisons, you're doing time! He's down for whatever. Just chilling on the bio bed at his friend's job while his friend works, but he doesn't. No, maybe a little later he'll play some video games. Yeah. it's, a, it's Maybe well, jack off three or four times and then go to bed. It's a very, like, Italian lifestyle, right? Grab a Corolla, have an extra lodge, three polymers, take a big dump. That's kind of the routine. Like, they... Like, Quark shows up with a tray with coffees on them. It's like, wow, you, like, came down the street from your other business with coffee for us? I thought it was weird as hell that they called this beverage coffee. Is this the first mention of coffee in a long, long time? Why isn't it Ratcagino? (laughs) Everybody drinks Ratcagino. What are they doing? This is like drinking Folgers. Yeah. Instead of the good stuff. Yeah. Quark knows Odo is sick. That's what we learned from this scene. Somehow he knows it. And he's hoping the coffee can help solve the mystery. He wants to help, but he doesn't want anybody to know that he wants to help. Bashir is too distracted to drink the coffee, which is the moment I thought for sure he'd reach for the Odo (laughs) and take Odo to the dome. I thought so too. Please, God. I've never wanted anything more than that on this show. And what if he, like, really got a taste for it? Like, I thought I liked urine, but this is incredible you know it's actually better the second time through it's like a glass of microscopic penises Bashir can't drink anything and it's sad you can tell this pains him because usually he'd be going for the beverages at a moment like this but he's figured it out yeah the day Odo was at Starfleet Medical three years ago that was when he was intentionally infected with the morphogenic virus yep Starfleet did this intentionally and counted on him infecting others. They're like, uh, hey, Odo, why don't you go into that public restroom and sit down on that toilet seat? (laughs) And then you go go back to the station and then sit on all the seats back there. And Odo, for some reason, was like, oh, hey, you're saying I don't need to wear a mask to protect myself and others? And then it's revealed, like, now we get our mission for this o'brien bashir team they need to get the cure they need to hide the cure and especially they need to hide the cure from section 31 and then it's like cut to black yeah we aren't even messing with transitions into the credits at the end of this at the end of these episodes it's pretty stunning right it's like this section 31 thing that has seemed like a semi-latent monster of the week a couple of times is actually like maybe the biggest villain in the whole universe the the founders maybe are bad but 
the like section 30, 31 are genocidal maniacs that will stop at nothing to stop them and that is a, a pretty stunning revelation did it stun you enough to like the episode ben you really want to do this here now okay okay let's do it do it also a drink check is what i want to do i'm almost to the bottom of my double tequila soda Oh, wow. Uh, I really motored. I'm maybe halfway through my second beverage, the uh, the Coyote Mezcal that I'm drinking here. Um, oh, the Coyote. And, I, and, I, and I'm way past done with the spiced daiquiri. There's a lot I liked about this episode. Uh, I, think, I think it was a very well-directed episode, uh, an episode directed by Michael Dorn, who I feel like doesn't get as many turns in the in the chair as some of the other cast member directors, but I think turned in great work with this script. Yeah. I, I think like maybe it's recency bias, but the couple of episodes leading to this one felt like much more cogent thrusts toward an end game than this one. This one felt like it was kind of like, burning time and adding complication in a new way that um you know i found a little annoying i guess but um i would say overall i'm i'm feeling positive about this one how about yourself this felt like an interstitial episode this felt like connective tissue to me that's not saying that the episode is bad i'm saying that i'm feeling more and more like all of these episodes are meant to be binged and not taking a singles like we're doing. Right. Uh, I think it only benefits the viewer if you were to really crush these in a take all afternoon and watch the last run of DS9. Like, I think that's the intention here. And I wonder how satisfying it was to a person watching it week to week. Yeah. I think we're given the benefit of watching it in chunks the way we've been doing for the purposes of our production. But like, I don't know how an episode like this works in isolation, on its own, with a week before and a week after, I get the sense that it doesn't work as well. And and all that being said, like I like the episode, but I it makes me wonder. Yeah, it's interesting because this is a this is a show that predates binging. You know, like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. they couldn't have written this with the idea that people would watch the next one immediately after it in mind. Right. And and yet I think you're right. It like works better that way. Well, one thing that works 100% of the time is our priority one message system. Ben, what do you say we go over there and see what we got? You're going to get no fight from me. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Ben, our first priority one message is from the Gooch. The Gooch, I think, is almost up to a free sandwich on his Priority One punch card. (laughs) His message is to Ben and Adam and the FODs, and the message goes like this. Back in the before times. In the long ago of the 2000s, I made a call. I chose Facebook over Twit. Now, you have forced me to return to Twit. Wow. I don't know how it works. Hashtag A-time? At, at Ira the Gooch? At me? Yeah. Ben and Adam, FODs, help me out here. Friend or follow me? Whatever. Hashtag clam beer. 
Clam bear sounds good. Someone out there help the gooch. The gooch who has helped us so much with the support of uh, many, many Priority One messages. Gooch, if you really have gotten 10, uh, I will absolutely give you a free one. And I'll extend that offer to anyone, any other of our... uh, of our friends at DeSoto. Wow. Get 10 priority one messages. I'm going to give you a, a free one for the 11th. Gauntlet thrown. The the punch yeah. card has been invented here today. Yeah. Um, is at Ira the Gooch a, a real account? Is that, have you, have you uh, looked into this? I love Ira the Gooch's account. Last tweeted in 2013. And then... Getting back onto Twitter November 18th. That's a long time away. I mean, here's the thing. There are no good social networks, right? No. They're all evil from one extent to another. But uh, yeah. we appreciate the uh, the Gooch's uh, work here. Certainly do. And uh, hashtag Clambeer. Just a tattered P1 punch card over there in Ira the Gooch's wallet. Yeah. Adam, we have another Priority One message here. It is from Eric. It's to Adam and Ben. So many of these P1s lately are for, are to us. I know. It's intense. Uh, but here here it goes. Uh, hey, Ben and Adam. Longtime viewer. First time P1-er. Love the show. Can't believe I got through. I've been wondering, how do you curate all the movie and TV clips that you use in the pod? Is there a catalog, or do you use your encyclopedic knowledge to hunt down a scene from the from a 30-year-old movie? Also, are you still answering five-star review questions? If so, fuck. I'll take my answer off the air, Eric. This is a really good question. Yeah. And no one's going to believe my answer, which is too bad, because... You'll have your opportunity to answer this question, but personally, (laughs) when I edit an episode, as I'm going through it and making cuts and thinking of drops and stuff, none of this is coming from notes. Yeah. Very little of it is coming from our conversation. It's coming during the edit where something happens that makes me think of a moment in another piece of media that I go out and get. Yeah. Like, it's very improvisational during the edit in a way that's extremely satisfying as a creative person because you get this rep right now that we're having but you also get a second rep yeah. to put a hat on a hat whenever you want to I think it's it's very much the same for me like occasionally I will think of something that a moment in an episode makes me think of in another thing a character makes a similar turn as another piece of media and sometimes that will be a kind of latent thing in my notes that gets totally washed away by the conversation Mm -hmm. we have about it when we talk about it in an episode and it's a bit like improv right like you may have an idea about how a scene is going to go but you have to be willing to flush it down the toilet if the game takes it in a different direction. You have to be willing to let it go. Yeah. Any form of editing is about killing your babies, right? It's like mm-hmm. whatever is going to make this the best thing it can be in in this moment right now is the thing I want to do for it. And yeah. forcing it into a corner that it doesn't fit well in is a temptation that I think is 
best resisted in the editorial process. So, like, there are things in the world where I, I, I do keep, like, a little list of notes. Like, if I see something in a show that I'm watching that just feels like, oh, shit, like, this could be a drop someday, I will, like... I'll be like, okay, what episode and what's the time code? And I'll just write it down. And I have wow. like, a, I have, I have 30 things in a note on my phone that are like that. And, and most what? of them go unused because I just, they're rarefied, you know, like I'm that, like, I'm not going to use them unless there's a perfect moment for it. I feel a little stunted in that way because I don't have a similar series of notes. I'm just depending on on the comedy stuff that stuck to me over <laughs> the last 10 to 20 years. Well, I think that my my note is probably a reaction to how good a memory you have for that stuff because I'm always impressed with your ability to draw on some like very specific moment in a movie from 1987 that just is like impregnated in your mind in a way that I'm like, oh, like I've seen that movie 15 times and I didn't remember that that guy said that at that moment. I can't explain how this mechanism <laughs> works. I'm sorry. I wish I could. Yeah, but good question. Eric, you could have saved yourself so much money. Yeah, I love talking about stuff like that. But if anyone out there would also like to ask a question in the more expensive of the two ways you can do that on this show... <laughs> Uh, you can head to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron. It's 100 bucks for a personal message and 200 for a commercial message. We really appreciate it. Um, I, I think you're now looking at kind of the back half of 2021 for P1s on this show, just based on what I'm seeing on the calendar. So if uh, yeah, if you, if you have something... Uh, time sensitive uh think about it in kind of six month terms and think about it in star trek voyager terms yeah specifically because we've got a brand new show coming we sure do hey adam what's that ben did you find yourself a drunk shimoda drunk shimoda god i don't know i i can't decide who my shimoda is going to be it it feels like it's an o'brien shimoda he hasn't been seen at work in now a couple of episodes (laughs) he was kind of called out for it and i think it was the last episode right they were like what are you doing playing with your dolls in quirks and he's like i just worked a double yeah and i and you know like you can't dispute he was on the little d when it was destroyed so he was at work that day (laughs) i'm not gonna go defiant erasure on that moment he does work quite a bit we don't need to see it for there to be proof but it does seem like he's chilling the most lately yeah. in a way that uh, is very uh, admirable. Maybe because this one is so difficult for me, I'm going to make O'Brien my Shimoda. Speaking of the Defiant, I kind of feel like more airtime in this episode could have been given to missing their ship. Like, yeah. there was a little, like, yeah, she was a great ship and you'll have a new one eventually <laughs> kind of kind of shit talked. But, like... I feel like the Defiant is a character on the show and should be mourned as such. Many people felt that way, Ben, and what I read in the production notes was that they they really thought a lot about whether or not to do her th- like that, and they felt like much like destroying the Galaxy class a couple seasons ago, like this was a great moment to emphasize how serious the the circumstance was. Yeah. But the thing is, like you do need that time to grieve an important loss. 
Yeah. And if we are really made to care about a ship the way that you're describing, like there should be a look out a window specifically. Yeah. They got to cut to the wide shot. We never cut to the wide shot for the little D. And I think that's sad. Yeah. What about you, Ben? My drunk Shimoda is Solbor, another legend that we stand in this episode. Cut to the wide shot for Solbor. Yeah. He got a knife in the kidney, got done real dirty. I think he's my drunk Shimoda for not uh, not sending a copy of the <laughs> of the dirt he'd uncovered to the Washington Post, you know? Yeah. Like that's your first step. God, RSVP Solbor. Gotta get that. You might have heard us talk about Squarespace before and you're thinking, what do I need a website for? I already have a bunch of profiles across the different social medias. But isn't it time you had a place online that wasn't owned by a social media company? How about you take control of your online identity with a website of your own? For that, there's Squarespace. With Squarespace, you can buy a URL and build a customized website with your name, and not a giant social media company's name, with your name attached and a bunch of numbers at the end. With Squarespace, you can have a place on the internet personalized to your aesthetic that lets you tell people about who you are instead of an algorithm. And the best part is, you don't have to be an experienced designer or a web page creator to make something great because Squarespace is always there for you with their award-winning 24 by 7 customer support. Don't settle for being another company's product. Be your own product with a website that's all you with Squarespace. Go to squarespace.com for a free trial, and when you're ready to launch, use the offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com. The code is SCARVES. Think it. Dream it. Make it with Squarespace. A good time so often has a downside, doesn't it? Especially when it comes to stuff that you put in your birdie. We've all been hungover before. I mean, many of us have, I guess. Or we've had too much jazz in our gummy. And that sucks, right? Because you don't think about the time after the good time that you've been trying to have a good time. That's why I like Lumi Labs so much. It's the predictability. Through painstaking trial and error, I have found my perfect dose. It's what I can depend on when I can use a little more chill, a little help getting into a creative headspace, and I don't need to have too much fun doing whatever it is I need to be doing. And I'm so glad that Microdose is available nationwide. That means just about anyone can try it. To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use the code SCARVES to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Again, that's microdose.com and the code is SCARVES. It has been a long time coming that podshop.biz is as good as it is. The stuff on there is just really high quality, and there's a ton of variety. We've got t-shirts and sweatshirts, obviously, but we've got hats, we've got mugs, we've got water bottles, patches, mouse pads, shower shoes. There's so much great stuff on there. I'm really proud of what we have on offer. I'm proud that the store has a lot of really great size-inclusive options. And uh, I think there's enough variety that just about any friend of DeSoto could find something that they'd really love to have in their collection at podshop.biz. So head over there and give it a look. Why don't you? Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? 
Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. To determine whether or not our next episode is going to be as bad or worse than this one, we consult the game of buttholes. World Profits. Yeah. It's a game. Currently, we're on Square 72. It's the Quarks Bar episode. Mm-hmm. Nothing but straight, flat highway ahead. Oh, uh, baby. As, as we put the pedal to the metal on our way to the Mornhammered Square, I don't think there's anything in danger for us. We could hit that nth degree. People love that nth degree episode, right? Oh, shit. If I roll a six, that's where we go. But you never roll a six, Adam. Never do. Speaking of things that are the number 21, the next episode is season seven, episode 21, When It Rains. Wait, no, that's what we just watched. Shit. The next episode is season seven, episode 22, Tacking Into the Wind. Kira masterminds a plot to obtain an enemy weapon while Worf investigates a dramatic power shift Within the Klingon Empire? Here's the thing. This show owes Nana Visitor from here on out. Yeah. Every single episode should be a Kira episode to the end. It really should. In many ways, this series started with her. Like the idea of a resistance warrior having to live on a ship with Starfleet right above Bajor during, like like in the aftermath of the Cardassian occupation. It was as much or more her show as it was Ben Sisko's. I think it's only right if she brought it home. I hope she does. You're required to learn as you play. Roll. Roll that bone, Adam. <laughs> I rolled a fucking one. It's all I ever do. I rolled a one. Chula! <laughs> Did I win? Hardly. We're on square 73. Cool. So, there we go. <laughs> I don't know what it is about this game and me. It's statistically improbable, I would say, that I roll as many ones as I do. I would love, I, I know that there's some friend of DeSoto that is capable of doing a statistical analysis of your rolls. 
I would really be impressed to see what your likelihood of rolling a one is relative to mean. I'm just scrolling through the admin page, and it looks like there's quite a bit of ones in the last 120 rolls. <laughs> I mean, every every other roll is gonna is has got a very high likelihood of being a one. I feel like it sure seems that way. But uh, what it means for you and me is a regular old episode. It does. Which to a lot of people, means the best kind. That's a relief to most people. When will we achieve relief, <laughs> Ben? Uh, well, next week we will achieve the next episode. Uh, in the meantime, we hope folks who like the show will support it at MaximumFun.org slash join or by recommending it to a friend or colleague or loved one. We also got to thank our buddy Bill Tilly, who runs the social media accounts for the Greatest Generation and Greatest Discovery. Uh, we've got accounts on Instagram and Twitter at Greatest Trek in both spots. It's uh, a fun thing to do to follow those accounts. Bill really does a great job; makes it uh, makes it an interesting follow in both places. And uh, whether you're on one or the other or both, I think. Uh, I think it's worthwhile. I think it is too. I mean, sometimes you sign up to follow your favorite show and it's just like derivative bullshit. Or just here is the new episode bullshit. Bill keeps it fresh. You're never going to have to mute that account. He's thinking of all kinds of shit to do with it. Yeah. Speaking of fresh, how about those hot beats from Adam Ragusea? Yo, turn the goose up in my headphones. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the original music for this show, the Picard song by Dark Materia, and the original, original show, music for this show by Adam Ragusea, who riffed off of the Picard song to make all of the uh, original songs you hear on the show. Uh, great friend of ours. Check out his YouTube channel. Before I end the show, I just want to say how grateful I am to everyone who listens to the show and supports it. Over at MaximumFun.org slash join. Oh, it's a real I love you man moment. And Adam's drunk. And just, you don't have to support the show for me to appreciate you. Thanks for listening. 2020's been tough, but now we're in 2021. Yeah. And uh, hopefully it gets better from here. Fingers crossed. For, uh, for all our friends at DeSoto and everyone else. And with that, we'll be back at you next time with another great episode of Star Trek deep space nine in an episode of the greatest generation deep space nine which is back to being sober thank god <laughs> but not back to Soulbore because he's not on the show anymore make it so Cheers, Adam. Yeah, feeling pretty hammered right now, dude. <laughs> I'm so wasted. Uh. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.